What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And if you didn't know, because every week there's a new listener, right? Every day there's someone discovering Living Corporate. So I'm going to just let everybody know. And then for those who've been rocking with us for a while, I'm going to remind y'all too. Living Corporate is a digital media network, and we exist to center and amplify black and brown people at work. That's what we do. Okay. We are the voice of the people. We're not really here to promote corporations or protect them or be some type of like, I don't know, corporate reputational launder laundering service. Like that's not what we do. Right. When we have brands on to talk about black and brown people at work, uh, when we have executives, activists, elected officials, public servants, influencers, artists, etc., we have any of these types of people on. We're going to be centering and amplifying black and brown experiences. And if that brand happens to do that work and really be authentic in that space, then we will speak to them. And you can best believe that when they come on the stage, on this platform, we're not pulling any punches. We're having real conversations. You know what I'm saying? Like that is what Living Corporate is all about. I'm so excited about where Living Corporate is. I'm excited about this episode. You're about to hear this conversation you're about to hear. Um, and, you know, I just want you to know that I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure that you follow Living Corporate everywhere we exist. You know what I'm saying? Just type in, just Google Living Corporate. I ain't about to rattle off all the social media handles. You know what I mean? Like if you just go on Google or whatever search engine you use, because that's not an ad either. Um, <laughs> whatever you use, uh, Ask Jeeves, Bing, Yahoo. I don't know what Microsoft Edge. Whatever you're using, just type in Living Corporate and we're going to pop up right now. Look, what you're listening to is Real Talk Tuesdays. You're listening to um, one show that's part of a larger network. Right. And so what you're going to if you check us out, you look at our website, living dash corporate, please say the dash dot com. You'll see that we actually have a network of shows. Right. Um, all focused on centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work with different lenses, right? So shout out to the entire team. Um, as our shows continue to come, you will hear about it, but make sure you plug in so you can just stay in tune. That way you don't have to try to catch up. You can just be caught up as you catching on. You know what I'm saying? Now, um, with that being said, I'm excited about this conversation you're about to hear. I want you to pay attention and make sure that you click the links in the show notes to learn more about what we're doing and where we're going. I'll see you soon. Dr. Good, welcome to the show. You're looking great. Skin is beautiful. Suit looking good. How's it going, man? I'm down here in hot Atlanta where it's, it's, it's 60, no, it's um, 81 degrees. So you've got my tan to get. Hey, hey, you're brother. looking great. You you're looking tan. great. Listen, uh, <laughs> and it's funny, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people. I, I don't know if I talk to a lot of Georgia folks. I'm actually, I was born in Rome, Georgia. Yeah. Okay. Right, right up, up the road, the road man. Mm-hmm. So look, let's get right into it, right? Let's talk about, let's talk about your your educational background particularly your phd and how it influenced you to engage this dei space yeah so so thanks for uh, again having me as a as a guest i'm a big fan of your work um so talking about my my journey you want to start with education um phd from uh university of alabama roll tide and uh my phd is in public policy Specifically, get this. You're going to love this. The uh, uh, the efficacy of affirmative action in terms of advancing public policy. Now, look. So, look, look. I got I got my PhD in ninety in ninety three, and here we are in twenty twenty three, and affirmative actions under. You can't make this up. No way. No way. You can't. You can't. You can't make this up. So, um, yeah, I've always. Um, been the beneficiary of affirmative action, but in terms of public policy, the, the stuff that the Supreme Court and others are are, are overturning or yeah. try to overturn, or or certain states, I've been looking at this since '93, man. You know what's wild, right? Is so I remember now. Who did I interview? This was this was this was a while ago, and they 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 really cut their teeth in DEI back in like the late '80s, um, and so. I remember back then it from now you correct me if I'm wrong back then it wasn't even really called DI a lot of it really it was called like it was human resources but it was also like affirmative action like it was started off like in in that category in that domain 
it's interesting because um, the studies, so many studies that I've seen, and I think like people popularly cite, like despite all these with all these attacks on affirmative action, the the main beneficiaries of affirmative action are not stereotypically black people, right? No, like no, like, no. The, 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 the data is overwhelming. It's been primarily white women and then poor, poor um, white men. Now, see, now that second part, I didn't know. Poor. So, mm-hmm. so white women first and then poor white men second. Mm-hmm. When you look at the broad implications of affirmative action in, in different areas of public and social policy. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? And absolutely. what's so interesting? Let, let me give you give an example. Because people are like, you're crazy. People say you're yeah. crazy. But if you look at social programs, um, you, you, you think about aid to um, families and stuff like that. The overwhelming recipients of, um, of a public, state, local, state, and federal subsidies and help are, are poor white people. Overwhelmingly. Yeah. yeah. There's this, um, there's just this ongoing narrative that black folks are just handed things, black and brown people more broadly, yeah. just handed things. It's like, mm-hmm. listen, like we're not the majority in this country. So, mm-hmm. so the idea that there would be, I remember even so, you know, Dr. Good, you know, I really started my career in human resources and I remember I was talking to a, a friend, old friend and, um, a bit more conservative in his viewpoints and leanings. And he said, well, he's like, I know that HR they have a list and, and a checkbox of how many people they have to hire to satisfy their affirmative action quotas. I said, hey, hey, brother, let me tell you something. That is not true. That, that's, right. that does not exist. Well, I know that. I'm, hey, I'm telling you, I've, I've been an HR manager to an HR director to an HR business partner. That is not the way that works nope. at all. <laughs> right? It. it, it it never has, and uh, and and doesn't exist today. Now I'm not going to say the way companies have communicated their their diversity aspirations or uh, or or the way they've tried to explain how affirmative action works, which is by the way kind of complicated yep. for for companies that have state and federal uh, contracts. It's extremely complicated, but when you try to dumb it down. Then people have interpreted it because they wanted to hmm. as goals and quotas, hmm. set asides. And what you know, and I know, that has never been the case. Never. You know, it's interesting. I, I also, looking at your background, I know that you have this um, this this additional piece of study and just exposure and work in the in, in the space of ethics. Um, and I, I believe ethics mm-hmm. is like. It's an under-engaged concept within DEI and, frankly, like employee experience more broadly. Like we don't really mm-hmm. talk about ethics like that. Like, like we'll say, like, mm-hmm. hey, like, of course, like, sexual harassment is unethical, or stealing is unethical, or you know, mm-hmm. like, bro- like lying, you know, in terms of like misrepresenting mm-hmm. something. Um, but it's all mm-hmm. very like, what's the word, mm-hmm. Doctor Good? It's very like obvious. There, I don't, I don't know if I ever engaged discussions, learning materials. Etc. On the nuance of ethics mm-hmm. in business, mm-hmm. um, can you share a little bit more on your point of view on the intersection of ethics and like inclusive leadership and culture? Yeah. So I don't know about you. I was raised by my grandma, okay. and and I can't tell you how many times I tried to get away with things by saying, "Well, you didn't tell me I couldn't," and she would say every time right before she hit me with that switch. But you knew better. But you knew better. You knew you know what I was talking about. You knew what I would have expected. Even if I didn't tell you not to do something, you knew better. Ethics, we people know. We, I'm not going to let anybody off the hook here. We know the difference between right and wrong. And not everything has to be written down in policy, corporate policy, for you to know. That's a wrong thing to do. Let me give you an, or if even if it's not wrong, it just doesn't make sense. Let me give you two specific examples. As a former corporate executive, if I hosted a holiday party 
I know at some point I got to make sure I cut the alcohol off early. I got to make sure people eat and I got to observe. I don't want anybody leaving my house that could be a danger to themselves or others. The fact that the company doesn't have a specific policy telling me as a corporate executive, don't make sure people leave your house drunk. It doesn't absolve me from doing the right thing. See, I, I, I also was a uh, an Air Force officer. We There's a concept in the military called command authority. Congress gives us the legal authority to send people into harm's way. Could even result in death. If since given that authority comes a lot of responsibility. At the top of the list is you knew or should have known something. You, It's not the fact that I can't tell you how many people used to get in trouble uh, not for violating uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but for ethics. You knew or should have known that that was going to cause an issue. That's what we got to do. We got to talk to people in everyday language and, co- and what I call, if I can't explain it to my grandmama, then I can't explain it to an mm-hmm. employee. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? We've gotten all with these big words. You know, diversity, inclusion, belonging, engagement, you know, D-E-I-B, element of Z. It's, employees don't talk in those terms. We got to talk in language. Me, your grandmama yeah. and my grandmama would have understood. Word. And then they will start behaving that way. I, I got hit with that switch. I knew not to go off that porch. <laughs> you know I know what, what you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah, no. So it was mo- it was me and my mom growing up, but I would spend summers with my grandmother. And yes, of course. And yes, I definitely knew. I knew better. To your point, um, <laughs> you made mention um, of your of your of your um, your military experience, and thank you for your service. You know, it, it, it that brought a, another question to my mind. You know, I know that you know we talk about like business employee uh, business resource groups, employee resource groups, and and veterans. It's like an often oftentimes like an employee res- is a space, is a subdomain. Do you think that there's an adequate level of intersectionality within like veteran diversity efforts related to like, hey, we're all veterans, but like I'm a black man who who is a Gen Xer and you're a white man who might be a a baby boomer or a millennial. Do you think that there is adequate levels of thought in terms of how we're intersectionally engaging that space? And if not, like, why do you think that is? Um, I think people rightfully so. This is the one time I'm going to give them a pass. Rightfully so, assume you come out of the military, you come out of the military with certain skills, certain behaviors, certain mindsets. Because as a 17-year-old from North Philly, I had to work with a, a person who had been in Nam and was a boomer, white male from Rome, Georgia. So, so you learn to adapt. You learn to to find safety, psychological safety amongst your brothers and sisters because you wear the uniform, but you also understand, hey, somebody in this situation, who should adapt? The new kid who does who thinks he knows everything but don't know anything? Or the old timer who 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 just is about two months away from retirement and wants to pull you aside and tell you how to survive and thrive. Now, in some cases, I take the success of Icarus today is because I have some young, I'm not like labels, but younger employees, much, much younger than me, that says, Doc, we can keep doing what we're doing even though we're in COVID. We'll, we'll use, you know, social media and, and, and we'll use these virtual platforms. I'm like, what are you talking about? They tell me I like Zoom. I'm like, Zoom, that's a Commodore song. You know, ah! I don't know nothing about no, no Zoom. You know, I'm telling you the truth, man. Oh, I love it. And then my, they, they says, Let's sit down. We're going to show you, take you through it step by step. In the military, you know how I learned that? That was one of those times I learned military, right? I switched my mindset. You don't know everything, dude. You ain't the smartest person in the room. Listen to the, these people that's trying to school you on some things. Now, my bias at first was, sounds like my son trying to tell me Yeah. Sounds like my daughter. I had to put that aside. Yeah. I had to put that bias aside yeah. and say, oh, so let me listen here. Why don't you shut up 
And why don't you listen see if you, and guess what? Bruh, I'm the Zoom, Blue Jeans, Microsoft Teams, WebEx. Hey, come on. Let's go, got? Dr. Good. That's man. awesome, man. <laughs> but you're right. I'm going to say this too, like as somebody on the other side, right? Like, and I came up, I'm Southern, right? It's like my family's from Mississippi. Um, and then I grew up in, I, I was born in Georgia, but both sides of my family from Mississippi. So I have like very Southern, like just sensibilities. Um, and I was right. And my parents are, they have, they're not older, but they're, but they were raised in the country in the South. So they're old soul. Right. So I'm just a little older in my, everything. I'm a little older. Um, so it is interesting when you talk to people, I'll say this as a, as a millennial, right. And I'm in my early thirties. You talk to somebody and you know, they're like 50 plus. So like, man, you know, you, their, their kids are maybe only like six or seven years younger than you. And so I've ha- I've been experiencing that to your point of like, dang, okay, I do want to help. I don't want to come across like I'm being disrespectful. Also, I know I'm probably me and this person's child have a long, we could probably have, we probably have a lot more immediately in common. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I love that. I love the fact that you named that because that's a thing, especially as workers are getting older and working into their older age, they're going to continue mm-hmm. to engage people that are their kids' age and or just the the generational divide is just going to be much more pronounced. And so it's going to take a certain mm-hmm. degree of um, adaptability from both parties, right? It's not just the because the old because the older seasoned professional has has an invaluable amount of things to teach and share. And the younger professional has a bunch of passion and exposure, even if they don't have a lot of application yet. And and so it's bringing those worlds together. You know, um, there's this ongoing narrative that, and, and narrative actually is diminished, uh, it diminishes it a bit. I'm not going to say narrative. There's an ongoing sentiment founded by, uh, supported by anecdotal and quantitative evidence that the diversity, equity, inclusion space is is under threat. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, mm-hmm. especially like in this moment, right? So you think about, uh, the conflict in Palestine, you think about, uh, and it's just, uh, you think about where we are in the, this pending election. We're recording this, uh, in Q4 of 2023, you think about the economy, uh, you think about potentially like just party shifting and changing. So, like, I'm curious, like, where do you think about that sentiment and, where do you foresee this space shifting, evolving, or not between now and 2026? Yeah, easy question. Um, I just hosted my own um, discussion on this topic just um, last week. Yeah. And uh, man, we're going to do a part two. So so I've been thinking about this a lot. So first, it's, it's important for people to understand the current sentiments, as you call it, regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not new. So let me take you back just a little bit. When this first came out, there was pushback, resistance, um, but it was based on mis- it was misunderstanding. People genuinely thought um, it was an extension of affirmative action and that the efforts, regardless of what the company called them, were designed to benefit women and people of color at the expense of white men. Now, we worked for years to try to show, prove, demonstrate that that was not the case. Now, the new attacks on DEI can be traced to several things. Number one, number one, um, when young people Poor people, others, everybody that's in that other category came together to elect not once but twice the first African-American president in history. That sent a tectonic shift in, in message to people. To And I'll, I'll name them later. Then when we turned around and in, in, in the last election, elected uh, a president who had a black female as his vice presidential candidate. Oh my gosh, you cannot imagine. The people who have always been opposed to the work that we're doing have always been and always will be. 
But now they've been able to put together a coalition that says, look at these people. I caught they, they, they look at us as barbarians at the gate. Look at these people. They're attacking American values. They, they are trying to take jobs away from us and, and give them to unqualified people. They're, they've taken that message and says, look at the south of the border. Uh, the, the, the efforts of DE&I are going to just bring all these people in and give them your jobs, uh, even though they're not even citizens. Um, and then look at these LGBTQIA+, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're poisoning the mind of your children. And then after George Floyd, and you saw the coalitions come together, underrepresented communities, um, uh, that, that allied with the Black Lives Matter. And then, of course, we saw what happened with the Asian attacks here in Atlanta. When those coalitions all started coming together, it literally formed clear battle lines between people who are not in support of this work and everybody else, everybody else. Whether or not you are um, supportive of this work or not, um, if you if you're not on their side, then you're the enemy. And and make no mistake about it, it's not just DEI. It's everything. It's women's right to choose. This is the United States of America and we're banning books. When that sounds like some scene out of uh some sort of dystopian, you know, movie. Is this an an uh an attack on the Capitol? We didn't see that in the height of North uh, Vietnam um, protests. So, so now it's clear. The battle lines are clear. It, there is a group of people have said who have said, if you are not on our side, you're not with us, then you are against us, and that's the 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 that's the fuel for the most recent um, attack against the work. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. This is not. This is. This has just happened overnight. Nah. This is. This has been coming. But now the battle is crystal clear now. And guess what? The inside of corporate America, the pushback. Guess what? Guess who? Guess what's fueling that voice? People like me and others who says we want you to tell us what you're thinking and feeling and experiencing. It's safe to do so. We are not going to retaliate against you. So guess what? We said it's safe for you to say, I don't know why the hell we've got BRGs or ERGs. No, I'm not in support of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And no, I'm, you're not going to force me to go to any training. So so we gave them that space to tell us, you know, what you're thinking and feeling. So uh, long answer, but this has been coming for a while. You know, it's interesting to your point about like the like the historical context setting of this, I think some could even argue that this started 50 plus years ago after the mm-hmm. passing of the 1968 civil rights legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mm-hmm. think about like politically, um, I don't believe mm-hmm. that the majority w- of white folks in America have voted Democrat since then. Um, mm-hmm. And so like there's been like these, different movements or spaces or groups with different faces and sh- and shapes, uh, but all with mm-hmm. the over overlying uh, underlying sentiment of us versus them. We need to protect the house. Uh, no pun intended. And we need to, uh, we need to make sure that we keep to your point, like the barbarians out of outside the gates. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I, as I think about this question further, I'm talking to a lot of DEI executives right now who are looking to pivot into human resources, employee experience, and really kind of get out of DEI. Like, do you foresee that as well? Yeah, yeah. It's um, we're seeing that a lot, um, and um, I don't. I've got mixed feelings about that. Um, I understand the frustration of leading this work inside a, a for-profit company. And even in the best of times, even under compulsion of a consent decree, 
um, or some sort of settlement, it is it is hard. So do I understand it? But I would tell those same folks that are exiting, now is the time to stay and and let's prepare the next generation of folks who are going to be doing this work. No, no, please take note of my intentional efforts to avoid the buzzwords. I've never liked them because well, we're not going to go down that road. Respect. But the, the work, the work, the work, let me be clear. People say, well, what's he talking? If he's not talking about DEIBs, what's the work? The work to create, to acknowledge and accept that every organization is diverse. It's just this, Which, whichever way you want to define it. It's got different people from different backgrounds, different perspectives. The question is, how do you get them to work together cohesively so that they can have the best work-life experience, be the best versions of themselves, and help the organization be the best version of itself? How, how can, how, doesn't everybody want an organization, want to work in an organization, that if you have policies, they are fair and apply consistently? I know you, me, we always wanted access to allies and mentors and coaches and sponsors and tools and resources to do our best job. We never asked anybody to give us anything, but at least allow us to have an opportunity. Let me show you what I can do. Put me on the field, coach. You know, you drafted me. You hired me. Play me. If I don't perform, cut me. That's not that much to ask. Nah. That's the, but you say, well, doc, then what's the work? The work is, We've got a work. We got workplaces that are still not healthy. They're not psychologically safe. They're not fair. They're filled with individual individuals with biases and organizational biases that reinforce the individual biases. And then we got leaders that throw up, hunch their shoulders, and throw up their hands and say, "Oh, I didn't know. That wasn't my intent." Well, thank God for companies like Icarus Consulting because when people call us, we come in like a, a a medical professional. We do a diagnosis. We tell you what your numbers are, and we say, let's get to work getting healthier. If that's what you want to do. If that's what you want to do. And I think like, yes. I mean, that's just a critical part of it too. I think so often, and I'm, and I'm coming from, I'm coming to this space like I very honestly, very similar to you, Dr. Good, it started in the corporate space and then building my own shop, but it's like, okay. I think one of the things I did not appreciate early in my career, you go in like, Oh, we're going to do an assessment. We're going to do this. 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 And you make these assumptions that that's where the client is. And that's what the client wants. And over Mm -hmm. time you realize like, Oh, wait a minute. You don't actually necessarily even want an assessment. You don't mm-hmm. want like any type of real coaching. You want to be able to say mm-hmm. that you did something ornamental and then you want to continue mm-hmm. on and doing what you, what you want to do. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but you, to your point about Icarus consulting, like this is a great segue. I want to talk about Icarus consulting. What led you to build your own firm? And you'd already kind of alluded to some of it, but what, when you think about the products and services that you do, what are you proudest of? Um, so let me, so you, you started down a good road. I think it's important for people to hear at least my, my thoughts around forming the company sure. because I didn't have any. What I was presented with was an opportunity. I was a corporate exec and I had a student who um, was doing some work for um, Papa John's at the time, at a time of crisis. And they said, they were doing um, multicultural marketing. They says, hey, you know, as soon as the crisis hit, they says, you need to call Dr. Good. Um, and and he can probably help you, you know, identify some people that can come in and help. Uh, well, I, I, they contacted me. We had several conversations. And he says, why don't you help us? I says, I already have a full-time job. They says, why don't you help us? Well, long story short, I, I left corporate America, and and my first client was um, Papa John's, and I'm I'm glad to say we did some phenomenal things to help turn them around, um, and 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 that remains 
one of the things I'm very proud of because even though I went from being an internal corporate exec to being an external consultant, I was able to bring all that experience with me and immediately apply it to help a company in crisis who basically, who, who really wanted to turn things around. By the way, they listened, they applied it, they did what we uh uh, consulted for them to do. They are still doing it. Um, Forbes Forbes took note of it, and and as a result, from the beginning, we popped up on the Forbes radar. They might they kept a close eye on us for two or three years, and then recognized, oh, even though this is a new company, the entire team and leadership is not new, and and they've since recognized us as one of the top ten in the country. So. I am proud of that, but people say, I want to leave my corporate gig and I want to go start a, a, a singing group. If you can't sing, don't go start a singing group. <laughs> I can't cook. I didn't go start a cooking show. What I did was I took advantage of an opportunity and went and did something that I had already proven that, that I had some success and some impact and kept doing it. But you ask me what I'm most proud of. It's my team. It is put it, bringing together some of the best people um, in this, some of which I recruited out of corporate, and and we are um, ha- making a difference, one employee, one team, one company at a time. That's incredible, Dr. Good. You know, and two, you mentioned this earlier, you're talking about Zoom and Teams and other other pieces of technology. Let's talk a little bit more about technology, like within the DEI space, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody right now, I mean, all these organizations, even if it's just a very simple direct API, are leaning into language learning models, particularly generative AI, mm-hmm. um, a lot mm-hmm. of stuff using um, BARD and, uh, and OpenAI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, like, as you look at this space with all the identities that you simultaneously hold, what mm-hmm. about the technology excites you? And then mm-hmm. what perhaps may bring you a little pause? Let me start with the pause first, that a, a AI program, and I know a little bit about this thanks to my son, pulling together all those disparate sources of information and producing a product can actually do some things better than a, a human. I, I'm, I have science on pause. Sitting down with a coach, sitting down with an, a white exec who made the serious mistake of asking an African-American female well, yesterday you had cornrows, and today you're natural. You know, how did that happen? There's not an AI program. I, maybe it is, but it's like, it's like, let me sit you down and let me walk you through what happened and what do you do about it. So pause is that you, some of the things that we do, some of the human-to-human interaction cannot be replicated. I do not believe using the most advanced Technology. I don't believe that right now, but I'm open to being proven different. What I am excited about is the a, a technology taking cost, uh, increasing efficiency, increasing productivity, increasing span, increasing scope, broadening access, and reducing costs. Because of technology, I've been able to do what I what I've been doing. And profitability has gone up while an an impact has gone up. Efficiency has gone up. That's what I'm excited about. That's that's what I'm excited about. But um, I think it's not an either or. I think it's an and both. I think that you can use all of it to, 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 to help. I, I will say we have used all of it to help us do what we do better. But we remain open to learning and, and, and getting even even better. But but you know what? Can I give you a little anecdote here? Me. COVID has starved us. Do you know I'm doing more traveling now than before COVID? Mm, I believe it. I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I thought I had a crystal ball. I didn't see that coming. And my and my team says, of course, Doc. Yeah. You know, they, people now, it's like, eh, 
I know we could do this meeting, but why don't you fly here to Dallas? Why don't you fly here to California? Mm-hmm. You know, me uh, and uh, several team members, we're going to Owensboro, Kentucky. Um, we have been doing that early in the year virtually. But, you know, I'm taking Jared and a couple of the folks to Owensboro, Kentucky, because they want it in person. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the client wants. Yeah, you know, not not at all surprising. I think about, you know, for like that year and a half or so plus, mm-hmm. you know, just the anxieties around traveling, and then people were traveling, they get sick, you know. So it was like, man, we're really going to mm-hmm. travel now. Um, even mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wanted like so we I just got back from a conference, um, and I was invited to even like you know there are some things that I could do literally by just having a meeting. They were like, no, let's c- come meet me at my site. Like, come up, come up. Mm-hmm. Come mm-hmm. to our sites. You can check this out. We can figure out how we can do this and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, I think it's interesting. We had a conversation with um, with Danny Guillory, uh, who was the head of people at Glassdoor. And we were talking mm-hmm. about the fact that, you know, and this goes back to ethics, right? Is mm-hmm. I believe that AI should be, uh, should supplement or enhance. I don't believe it should mm-hmm. supplant, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's say that you have AI can maybe take a very transactional, repetitive part of someone's job and help automate mm-hmm. or accelerate that. That doesn't mean that that mm-hmm. person who had that job, that job diminishes. It means now they have an opportunity for their, their role to expand, right? So AI should really mm-hmm. drive uh, employee enrichment and not employee mm-hmm. and not necessarily always employee reduction. Can I can I share? Um, I can't say the client's name. Mm-hmm. But I had a chance to talk to the CEO, big retail, big box store. I said, can I just share something with you? I said, I was a little, I felt a certain way when I walked in your store and and, and saw all the self-checkout. And all, my first thought was, wow, I'm sure it's efficient. I'm sure it's even faster. I'm certainly it's profitable, but man, I felt a certain kind of way because I saw for every machine that could have been a person's job. He says, Doc, we didn't let anybody go. We put those people in the aisles, walking up and down, helping customers. The customers needed the more help, not at the register. Picking, the, you know, we found ourselves um, having to restock less stuff because we got people in the aisle helping people pick the right product at the right price in the first place. So now we've got less returns, less restock, and I still got people, but I'll redeploy them. Boom. A hundred percent. And that's the, my, yeah, that's technology enhancing. And I missed it. Yeah. I missed it. It's, it takes, and it takes just the right attitude, right? Because like, you know, to, you said something earlier about, um, the notion of affirmative action really being like this, really feeding into uh, a scarcity model, right? Okay, well, there's only so much to go around, so I'm going to take. And so often, though, like, we have, like, these reactionary type ways that we do business. Okay, well, hey, let me, oh, this what can this can say, this can eliminate this headcount? Cool, I'm going to take this thing. And you don't think systemically about, okay, well, how does this, how does this support customer experience? And how does this support... What is the impact on X, Y, and Z? Yep, my immediate dollars might go up, but how does does that degrade overall experience over time? Does it? How does it impact my brand and perception? Because check this out now. Mm-hmm. Now watch this. You just said about the technology and how you missed it, but watch this. Irrespective of that CEO telling you that, when you walked into that comp- that building, your impression, Doctor Good was still your impression. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So, 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 and, and I'm not saying that this is the wrong decision. I'm simply saying like, you got to think about all of those pieces. Cause they all come together mm-hmm. when it comes to not, not yep. just sustaining your business, but keeping you competitive. Right. If it's a big yep. box, I'm yep. confident if they number two, they're not trying to stay number two and they damn sure don't want to go to number three. And if they're number one, they're trying to right. stay number one. So, so, so it's, right. it's all those things coming together. Um, now look, yep. we've been we've been talking. I, I'm gonna be on. We I feel like we could probably go another hour, but here's what here's <laughs> here, here, let's let's keep it going. I, I want to look at you know, it's talking about the market right now. Like I said, recording this in Q4 of 2023, um, everything is tighter, right? And if you look at there's signals in the market that's that that would uh, show that 
things might even get tight, right? And I'm not an economist mm-hmm. and I don't have a crystal ball. I'd love to, I'd love to borrow yours. Um, so you think about um, people being late later and later on their car payments and credit card payments, mm-hmm. interest rates being higher mm-hmm. than ever loan on loans and things of that nature, uh, collections and people being late on it just, it's, it's tighter um, folks, the job mobility, people are not moving in the same ways. We're seeing layoffs happening across industry, right? Like this is not no, this is no longer like this isolated tech thing. Layoffs are just happening mm-hmm. um, or tech space thing. Um, all that being said, talent is still talent, right? And mm-hmm. organizations are still looking for the, for top talent that they can mm-hmm. attract and they're looking for the talent mm-hmm. they need to retain. Mm-hmm. What should executive leaders uh, keep in mind in terms of talent in this market, especially? And I'm and I'm I'm gonna add a, I'm gonna add another thing to it, Doctor Good. Mm-hmm. Not just in this moment, but in the next, let's say, eighteen to twenty four months, mm-hmm. when the market rebounds. Yep, excellent question. Um, so again, in terms of let's get very specific with some examples. So. Um, if my grandmama was listening, she would know what we're talking about. People talk about top talent all the time. Yeah. Let me let me define for you what is top talent. Mm-hmm. In an organization, if you are being rated one or two cycles at the highest possible rating, on a scale from one to five, let's say five is the highest, two consecutive years or more, you've been rated a five. You are defined. <clears throat> you are defined as a top performer. Top top performer gets top rating. However, if you are a high potential, that means that regardless of where you are in the organization, because of your current performance in that role, the organization believes you can go at least two more levels up. This is critical because people are like, I'm a top talent. I'm the, it's like, oh, 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 wait a minute. You know, I show up every day. I work hard. Hold on, hold on. You, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And that's, you know, you're getting paid. You're showing up. But when companies are looking at talent, they're looking at who's my top performers and then who's my high potentials. Having said that, people who have consistently been top performers or high potentials will always have a job. <laughs> they can go from company to company, industry to industry, and maybe even switch over. Some of those people can go start up their own companies. They will all, that, that talent talent has this privilege. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and, and, and I'm talking. I'm not talking to the people who have the talent. I'm talking to the people who show up every day and help the. Help keep the grease going. Help keep the company going. That say, you know, what about me? Here's the answer to your question. I need my leaders out there to listen to me. Your top performers and high potentials already know they're your first, second round draft picks. They're good. Talk to your other people. Make sure your managers are giving them candid feedback on their current performance. Make sure, leader of company X, make sure your managers at the front line are telling their employees, here's what I'm going to do to further develop you in this current role. And oh, by the way, if it prepares you for another position, I got your back. But here's some, tell me what you think you'd like to do. Then let me give you some feedback about whether or not I think that's a good direction for you to go. And if so, here's how you get there. All I'm at with talent today, talent tomorrow, and the next day, let's have some courageous conversations. Let's be honest. Let's be fair. Let's be candid. If you are very, very good at what you do, but I don't see, I think you are well-placed then tell somebody, I think you're well-placed. If you don't, prove me wrong. Right. Or do what I did <laughs> when I was told I was well-placed. I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't buying that. Maybe I'm on the wrong team. There you go. 
There you go. I went to a different team and, uh, you know, got a nice signing bonus and, and all of that. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now with the right team. So, but somebody had to tell me honestly, Doc, we like you. We think you're doing a killer job. But we like you right where you're at. Yeah. It's like, eh. <laughs> I like, uh, I like something different. There's, there's several people out there listening to me. They're like, oh, yeah, he told me that. And uh, or when I got passed over for a promotion and came back to his office crying, literally, he says, I don't agree with that assessment. You should have got that job. But they have told you what they've told you. Let me help you find land someplace else. That's what they and that's what they tell the people me. out there. Y'all know, who I'm, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, so so what we are missing is candid conversations, honest feedback Th- that will. People want to be treated like adults. They want to be treated with respect and dignity. Tell them the truth. You know, it's interesting to your point about talent has its privileges. And I didn't realize this until like my second to last job before I jumped and living corporate full time, Dr. Good, is that I, I'm him. Like, I did not realize that. So, like, I'll tell you, like, you've been telling great stories and examples. So, like, I work for this tech company, right? And I was there and they were in the middle of trying to get acquired. They didn't get acquired and they went private. Um, but in the middle of trying to get acquired, I got a little notification from HR on my calendar. And I said, I said, Oh God, cause you know, I come from HR. So at this point I'm like, a, I'm like straddling the fence, Dr. Good between like this DEI executive and go to market executive role. I was building mm-hmm. like these analytics products and selling them and whatever. So anyway, and I was doing some internal DEI strategy stuff for this tech company. So I'm over here thinking, Oh shoot. Am I about to get fired? Get on the call. It's like, all right, Zach. Um, wanted to tell you that we've identified you as top talent and high potential talent. And so to incentivize you to stay through this potential acquisition, we're going to give you X if you don't quit by this date. Right. And I didn't even think about it. Dr. Good to that moment like now i know like and look you're you're we're both black men like young black men black folks in general historically marginalized folks in general broadly i do believe it's important for you to big up yourself you need to know that you are worthy of the seat that you sit and you don't need to walk around with a chip on your shoulder or over overly anxious because it's going to affect your performance so i do have a high degree of confidence in myself but i i literally just didn't think in those terms dr good when he showed me that letter with them zeros on that thing, I said, oh, oh, this is different. Then not to your point. I paused and I thought about it. I was like, wait, I've never had to, I haven't had to look for a job in like seven, eight years. And I've only been working mm-hmm. for 10. So, mm-hmm. right. And so you're absolutely right. It comes with its privileges. And, and like, I think the to your point too is retaining and engaging top talent, hyper potential talent is not, is actually not easy. <laughs> like Mm-mm. you need to have can to your point, candid conversations. You, and I also believe that it's tough if you're a, so let's say you have a first round talent. It's tough to have mm-hmm. first round talent and you have like fourth round management like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to have some, because if you got some killers, your management kind of got to be some killers, too, because oh, eventually what will happen is it'll be resentment, disengagement, and then that person will exit. Right. And they'll to do their own thing or to ch- jump to a competitor. And I think also with like the, the and we're going to get to the next question with, um, after I say this, I'd love to get your feedback on it before we do. I think also like with just the nature of top talent and high potential talent, they learn. So and so much of the work exist today if you don't get them on some non-compete and like very aggressive (laughs) paperwork they're going to just take all the things that they've learned not your patents not your ip just the things that they've learned and now you got a little monster because now you're going to go out to the market and now you got you have a different problem on your hands you know what i mean yes yes and let's not I'd be confused. People say, don't get it twisted. Um, yes, there's always layoffs, 
But even in a down economy, people are being hired. Someone is being hired somewhere to do something. And I will tell you, uh, uh, the people who are at the top of the game are going to always be okay. How do you retain those people? It's simple. Show me the love. I, I, I want autonomy. Uh, I want support. Uh, give me the resources I need, then get the hell out of my way. You know? Um, yeah. And, and uh, uh, hold me accountable. Um, my my the, the top talent that I admire the most are not the technical, the people that's very, very good at your job. But it's the people that's very, very good at their job that says, you know what? I'm going to make sure, Zach, that I pass along, I help, I support, and do everything I can before whatever I move on or whatever, move up, move yeah. on, whatever, move out, yeah. that Zach is, is ready, that Zach's legit. And, and I ain't talking about no formal mentoring program. I'm talking about it's like, oh, yeah, I got my eye on come Zach. on, Doctor Good. Zach, Zach is intelligent. Yeah, Zach is articulate. It's like Zach, come here, Z, come here for a minute, man. Now listen, I know you ain't gonna want to hear this. We got a pretty relaxed dress code. Everybody's showing up in their hoodies, bruh. I need you to put on a blazer, yeah. put on a short sleeve shirt. Got my diversity inclusion yeah. shirt on under. Yeah, but. I need you to, if you want to be an exec, you need to look. Then look like a damn. You need to, you need to show up different than you showing up. Show up two levels higher than you want to be. Hundred percent. I would never disrespect you and show up on your show looking like I just left Walmart. It's it's just not. I love that. I'm a I'm a I'm a CEO and president of a of a you know a company that you know grows between three and five million. I need to look like come it. On, come on, Doctor Good, talk it, man. No, here's the thing. If you walk into your dentist's office and he walking in talking about yo 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 what's up, you know he got on a hoodie and you're gonna be like yo. No, you, you can't. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna feel away if you come up with a hoodie on you a dentist. That's crazy. I mean, so no. I, all I'm saying I'll is, feel you. Represent for your grandmother. Yeah. Represent for yourself. Represent. You. Know, I want to be an exec. They pass me over. Yeah. You think you got all these skills? You come to work every day late. You miss half the calls. Uh, and then when you show up, you look like, you know, you just left, you know, whatever. And I'm not trying to hate, no. particularly on people much younger than me. I don't think you hate me. But as long as, I, as long as I'm the hiring manager and I'm the EVP and I'm looking at you for directing, right. possibly as a future VP, right. you better, you, you well as hell better have exec, enough respect for me. Right. No, that's a, and here's the thing, to your point. This goes to show up and look a certain. This way. goes back though to this the intergenerational relationships, right? So here to your point, mm-hmm. right? Now, and we can this is another podcast for another day, Doctor Good. But you know, believe it or not, you know, black folks can't win for losing. You know, I show up to work sometimes. Be like, but you're over. They tell me I'm overdressed because I'm wearing a mm-hmm. blazer with a pocket square and some monk strap, whatever, right? Um, but 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 here's the thing: is my natural environment. I'm probably gonna be Nike Tech down. But if I know that the person that I'm trying to get sponsorship from does X, well, if I respect and genuinely believe I need their sponsorship, then I'm going to adapt my style to get X because my goal is not to necessarily please, quote unquote, this person. It's to get the access and support that they provide. So but but so often to your point, I'll say it millennials and Gen Z is too. We do the, nah, but I don't even, nah, nah, I'm going to just do it my own. It's like, all right, you're going to do it your own way? Cool. They're going to do it your own way then. And don't be mad when this other person mm-hmm. who is not maybe as talented mm-hmm. as you, but did decide to adapt for a moment gets X, Y, and Z because mm-hmm. they decide. So, so to your point, like, you know, that it's uh, well received, you know, the other piece I'll say is that, um, you know, we look at this market and we look at this space um, kind of talking about Gen Zers and millennials, and but I and I would say more broad, even like you know, just really across the board. I, I don't want to, I don't want to exclude any generational cohorts. There's a growing expectation that corporations are um, operate, I believe, outside of an, their established scope. So you look at 
global crises, humanitarian crises. You look at things, you just look at things out in the world. And, and here's the thing, like employees have this extreme, ever growing expectation that businesses do something about these global problems, even these like systemic problems mm-hmm. that might, necess- not, might not necessarily be within that organization's bailiwick, right? Mm-hmm. Where do you think the, the middle ground is? I think, and I, I, this really came to me, and I remember saying this, I made a bunch of people uncomfortable um, when, I was, uh, when I was in consulting. Um, mm-hmm. It was, so it was the summer that George Floyd was murdered. And mm-hmm. all these, you know, all the different consulting groups were coming together, Dr. Good, and they were like, we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do that. And I said, what is it that you expect this firm to do about police brutality exactly? Like, what is our, what is our actual scope and litmus of control and impact? Right? Now, are mm-hmm. like, are there clients? Like, are, are there clients that we, are we working? Are we consulting the police departments? No. Okay. So what exact, like, how about we focus on how we can make this place more fair and mm-hmm. equitable, but I don't understand what exactly we're trying to do here. It feels like a waste of time. And I remember I said that got you good folks were salty at me, but I genuinely believe that. And now we're in a, we're, we continue to be in these cycles and we're going to continue to be because information is so democratized. You we're seeing horrors yeah. on our phones every day, right? Yeah. What would you say? Um, how, how, what would you say the balance is between employee expectation and corporate scope? Easy, easy question. Easy question. Um, so I, again, speaking in specific, in specific examples, we had dozens of cl- new clients yeah. approach us during the summer of 2020 with, uh, because of the murders of George Floyd, Brianna and others. And, and, and of course, first they approached us because, well, Tell us what we should do. And, oh, in the meantime, can you help us put out a statement? So I'll take one example. Had a client call me in the middle of the night and says, hey, uh, my, flo- my phone has been blowing up all day. My, wi- my women's employee resource group wants me to put out, wants the company to put out a statement in light of the Supreme Court decision basically striking down Roe. What should I do? So I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a long story short. We, we agree that what is, what can you do that has impact is to make sure since you operate in multi-states To make sure, A, that every employee, every employee, men and women, understood what their health benefits were. To explore and examine whether there was any inequity in your health benefits between genders and between the places where you operate. Let's make sure that you you go on a listening tour to find out what are the concerns and the questions employees have about the Supreme Court decision. Then answer those questions about what you as a company can do starting internally to make sure that every person has access to quality health care to be able to exercise whatever decisions about their health, they want to make. And yes, there's a lot of right now uncertainty. So start by giving clarity. Here's what we know. Here's what we're going to do. If you are in this state where we operate and this state says there is no exceptions to to, to having uh, abortions, but we operate in another state, we are going to pay for you to go from that state to X state so that you can exercise your health choices, whatever that choice is. Oh, by the way, you know, if you just choose to uh, adopt, put the child up for adopt, whatever, 
We're going, we got you. And, and start with what you can do, not what you can say. Does that make any sense to you? And, and, and that, I, I apply that across the board to a plethora of crises. Focus on what you can do first. Then share that out. A statement of prayers and best wishes don't have the impact of actually doing something and then put out a statement about what you are going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And like, that's the, it's all about, you think about, so employees, DEI. No, wait, I got to interrupt you. Just give it to me. I just got to give you another. Give example. it to me. We, everybody knows about voting, voting rights attack. Had another client. Doc, people are driving me crazy, you know, blah, 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 blah. We need to put out a statement. Look. Let's not concentrate about the statement. Right now, what is your policy on voting day? What is your policy on voting day? Knowing that there's going to be these implications of people going to vote and maybe having to wait in line eight hours, what's your policy? Then change the damn policy and say on voting day, everybody's going to be given eight hours of comp time to vote regardless of how long that takes so you can exercise your right to vote. Put that statement out. Last but not least, you have a political action committee. You let the people know that you're giving money. Eh, you're causing me some issues with my workforce. Um, and so I'm going to stop there because focus on what you can do. Manager, director, Corporate CEO, company, nonprofit, military, uh, non-governmental organization. Do stuff. Do something. Then talk about that. You know, don't get me started on gun control and stuff like that. No, 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 no. So, so I love the answer. We're going to honor the time. We're coming to close soon. Here's the thing is everything you said, I love it because it's employee centric. Right. It's not and it's not performative. And I also believe that the public, not only are they fatigued by it, but they're a little bit sharper um, now in terms of kind of like weeding through the BS. So being able to say, hey, no, this is what we're actually going to do. Here's our policy. Here's what we're doing. Or, hey, here's how we've adapted or updated to reflect our principles and values, not Mm-hmm. We stand with and we honor that or we are thinking of, to your point about well wishes. Um, look, Dr. Good, this has been a dope conversation. Like I said, um, <laughs> we could keep it going. Because um, I was about to ramp up and do a whole, ask a whole set of another quote, but I'm going to stop. This has been a dope conversation. Before we let you go, any parting words or shout outs? Um, uh, parting words. Shout, so let me start with shout outs first. Um, I, as, as proud as I am of, you know, all of the success that Icarus Consulting has had, some of the personal awards I've been given, it, it would not be possible without my team. I have got the best team, family, I call them family, the best family on the planet. So my, my grace and gratitude for my Icarus team, parting words for those that would that ask, we you don't know, doc. Well, what, 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 do you, what do y'all want? First of all, who's y'all? But let me tell you what most people want. The people that look like me, we want what everybody else wants. You know, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Every day. We want that 365. Not doing, not doing Black History Month. Not just doing Juneteenth. Not after a crisis. Not after mass murder. We want that every day. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty. I shouldn't have to fear about what neighborhood I'm jogging in. And justice. If I'm treated unfairly, I can count on the system to do the right thing. Um, you know, for, for ev- I want that for everybody. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for my sons. That's what my grandmother and others like her uh, fought and in some cases died for. That's all I want. And that's all I believe anyone 
that comes from an underrepresented, um, underprivileged community uh, wants. wants. So I'll stop there. But thanks again for the opportunity. Uh, I can I can talk to you all day, man. Dr. Good, it's been a pleasure. Uh, make sure everybody check out the link in the show notes, Icarus Consulting. Uh, make sure you want to learn more about Dr. Good. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Dr. Good, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, sir. And we're back. Yo, I want to thank our guests. I want to, I want to say uh, much love to the entire living corporate team. Thank you for you. You, that's right. You listen to this right now, driving your car or on the subway or, you know what I'm saying? Working out or just listening late at night while you, you know what I'm saying? Doing some work or something. Thank you for being a part of our living corporate community. I appreciate you. Make sure if you haven't already that you create a login on living-corporate.com where you can actually get all this content pushed to you based on the types of things that you want to engage and listen to. Make sure you actually go to living-corporate.com for jobs and uh, career advice and all types of just dope content that we got on there and that we're publishing every single day. All right. Until next time, this has been Zach. I'll catch you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.